0: Now, Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio brings you prescribed listening from our trusted contributors at the Ontario Pharmacists Association.
1: Welcome back. First of all, I have to recognize a milestone. I'm here with our trusted contributor, John Puppa Sturgew, and this is his 50th appearance on Fight Back.
2: It's great to be here, Libby. I've, I've always enjoyed doing the show. I've enjoyed to get to know the team. And I have uh, think I've developed a lot of skills being kind of on the air with you here. So thanks for the opportunity.
1: Well, thanks for coming in. We have a very exciting topic today. Marijuana is set to become legal. Now, more than 75,000 Canadians use cannabis medicinally. And Health Canada estimates an increase of 450,000 patients by twenty. 24. In the meantime, putting more recreational use in the mix will probably have clinical implications for patients. So today we're going to explore both recreational cannabis and medical cannabis and the difference and what's going to happen with legalization. And I'm sure that people have a lot of questions. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740 Where to begin, John?
2: Yeah, this is a hot issue in the pharmacy space as well. I mean, it's obviously a big political issue, but the reality is that, you know, uh, uh, we, you know, as pharmacists, we're seeing patients already that use uh, marijuana both recreationally and uh, uh, for medicinal purposes, and they're coming into our pharmacy. So I think our lobby uh, initially was really to push for having uh, medicinal marijuana distributed through the pharmacies. I, I mean, I don't think that's settled uh, as of yet. In the current situation, the way, uh, if you're using uh, marijuana for medicinal reasons, the way you get it is from a licensed producer. It's kind of archaic, actually. You've got uh, prescribers that will uh, prescribe uh, for the patient, then it goes uh, to the licensed producer who will then ship it via mail to the patient, right And uh, I think our argument is uh, many of these patients have chronic illness, they're on multiple medications, their potential interactions and other things, and we could talk about all those as well. But the pharmacist at some point should be involved, and I think that's kind of our our message uh, as pharmacy, and then you're going to loop in the whole issue of recreational users and that's how that how that's going to impact patients as well Uh, so i think it's kind of understanding how this is all going to fit into place and it's really not so clear as of yet
1: yeah absolutely uh you know um i was just talking to a a licensed producer and they're saying they're kind of happy about legalization because it will really uh, draw the line and differentiate between recreational and medicinal because I'm sure that right now there are a lot of people who use recreation the recreational stuff medicinally. They are medicate self medicating. Absolutely, guess.
2: and I think that's happening. And I think for the listeners, maybe we should kind of differentiate between the two. Because I mean, I mean, it's a fine line. People use uh, for different reasons, but generally, the medicinal user is quite different than the recreational user. The recreational user is using it more for the psychotropic effects, generally to get high. The uh, the medicinal users for the most part, using it for other reasons and very specific reasons. It may be chronic pain, it may be for nausea related to chemotherapy, maybe for MS. And there's more and more kind of indications now that we're getting evidence for that. Hey, these, uh, you know, marijuana helps these patients. So, um, you know, I think we have to understand that, that there is a difference and we should understand kind of some of the basics of cannabis. And cannabis, every plant, every marijuana plant is different. And it really is that ratio of THC to CBD. And these are the active components in, in the plant that are having different effects. THC sees that effect that gives you kind of the, uh, the high, the psychotropic effect. CBD is kind of the other component that doesn't get you high, but has other kind of properties, right? And many of those properties are medicinal. So it's the ratio of those two and the way that they grow the plants uh, have different Different effects, right? So I think it's important for people to understand that.
1: Well, a lot of people who use it medicinally or want to use it medicinally, they don't want the high.
2: Absolutely, they yeah. just
1: want the CBD.
2: And I think that a com- that's a common misconception. One of the myths, right? That hey, every you know, the benefits of marijuana is it just makes you feel high and you feel better, and it doesn't matter what your indication is. Absolutely not. We have evidence now to suggest the CBD effect is what's hap- helping with these very specific kind of therapeutic areas. And those patients don't want to be high. I mean, they are they want to be functional. Maybe they're going to work. Maybe they're doing other things. So uh, yeah, very important to differentiate between the two.
1: Okay. So what are some of the things that marijuana... Cannabis is good for.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I, let's say yeah, I mean that's a wide range of, uh, you know, depending who you talk to, that's a kind of a huge spectrum. But let's focus on the things that we have evidence for. So we know very specifically now for chronic pain that marijuana does help. And our goal, especially with chronic pain, is to get patients to use less opioids. And we know we have a huge opioid problem here in Ontario and, and in Canada. If we're able to reduce opioid use, and if that involves concomitant marijuana use, that's going to be a big win. And we know for chronic pain patients, and there is evidence now, marijuana helps. So that's kind of one group. And that could be for patients with cancer, maybe osteoarthritic pain, like different types of chronic pain. The other uh, area is nausea associated with chemotherapy. We know a lot of good evidence there that marijuana helps in that group. And also uh, for patients that are having challenges eating, we know uh, marijuana can give you the munchies and that helps as well, right? So we know there's that group that will benefit. And then we know marijuana does have some really uh, positive effects in, in patients with spasticity and that's patients with MS or other kind of muscle conditions where they get this kind of spasticity and, and muscle pain. So that's kind of the, the, the group that I think of when I you know, uh, think thinking. Of who will benefit, but then there is anecdotally. There's a lot of other kind of therapeutic areas that potentially, uh, you know, it, it, you know, marijuana can help. We don't have a lot of supporting evidence yet, but it's being uh, explored in many neurological conditions, for example, and whatnot. So, uh, in the next few years, maybe we'll get we'll get some more information.
1: Okay, I'm going to give the numbers out again. I, if you have any questions about the use of marijuana, medicinal or otherwise, John is here to take your questions and your call Also, of course, he'll answer any other pharmaceutical questions that you might have. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and I think a very good point that you can probably in a lot of cases use cannabis in place of opioids which are highly addictive and which have really some nasty side effects.
2: Yeah really nasty side effects and the the goal is not always you know to get people entirely off the opioids but to reduce the doses as well. When you get into kind of those potentially very dangerous situations it's when the doses of the opioids are pushed up and up right really high and there's no dose ceiling with opioids. If you're a cancer patient the dose is kind of what works and in and, and some patients we got to go really, really high, but it can may, it can be potentially dangerous so being able to reduce that dose or in the best case scenario get patients off the opioids, I think that's a huge win
1: okay uh, and what are some possible side effects or interactions?
2: Well, I mean, you know, with any psychotropic, uh, I worry about drug interactions all the time because many of our chronic patients are on other things, right? Uh, You know, antidepressants, sedatives, uh, anti-anxiety medication. So now if you're combining a potentially psychotropic drug, and this is the issue when when you don't have, when you have unregulated growers, you don't always know that ratio of THC to CBD. So you may be getting strains that have more of that psychotropic kind of component in there. Now you're mixing it with potentially, uh, you know, other psychotropic prescription drugs, now we have some potential risk for side effects. And, you know, that's what worries me. And and there's really, in the current system, I don't know if there's a lot of education going on when this stuff is coming directly from uh, the manufacturer, the grower, right? And I think that's where the pharmacist can play a big role. And the reality is many of the patients coming in, they may be using recreationally as well, and it's one of the questions I get all the time. Hey, and if, especially if you have that comfort level with your pharmacist, they're asking. Sometimes it's, I have a friend that's using it. Other times, <laughs> that's okay. It's, it's me, but either or, ask the pharmacist because we have to be careful. The other thing I worry about... Uh, Many medications uh, inhibit the clearance of THC, right? There's that potential drug interaction. So what I'm getting at here is some very common drugs like Losec or Omeprazole, Zoloft or Sertraline. You're taking that now in addition to marijuana. And if it's inhibiting THC clearance, what's happening? That THC goes up. Now its psychotropic effect is getting even higher, right, even stronger. So we got to be careful about that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, uh, how long does it should it take to clear? Well,
2: that's a good question. For drug clearance, generally we know. And, and one of the things I always counsel on is driving because it's important. People will use. And then it, it's similar to alcohol. You don't want to drive right away, especially if you're having more of a psychotropic effect. Minimum, I say, is four hours. It depends on the source also, Libby. And we haven't really talked on the, on the source because there's multiple sources, right? So if you're smoking it, probably four hours is okay. If you're using an edible, probably like six to eight hours sometimes. You've got to be really careful.
1: Okay, uh, let's uh, start taking some calls. We've got Leslie in Burlington. Hello?
3: Yes, hello. Good afternoon uh, to you, Libby, and your uh, guest. Okay. Um, I have dreadful, dreadful fares about the legalization of marijuana. And I am speaking from what I have seen. I have never smoked anything, let alone marijuana. There is no way the government is going to be able to control it. And furthermore, everybody knows that Jamaica is the birthplace of marijuana use in this part of the globe. Everybody knows what has happened to Jamaica. It didn't happen overnight.
1: Uh, Leslie, we're, tr- we're kind of uh, concentrating on, on medicinal marijuana here and the effects. Do you have a question on that?
3: The question is, where do they draw the line?
2: Okay, I'll let John respond, thanks. It's a good question, and that's, you know, the question that goes back and forth, right, all the time. The reality is the regulation is supposed to be very, very strict. I mean, medicinally, it'll be via prescription, so anyone getting a medicinal uh, prescription will have the opportunity to get that filled, hopefully in a community pharmacy. Uh, The recreational side is probably what you're more concerned about. Uh, we don't really know how that's all going to work as of yet. In Ontario, they say possibly it's going to go through uh, uh, stand-up LCBO-type stores. Uh, we don't we don't know. That may change that now may with change. another of government. First, yeah, so that's going uh, you know, to be something that we're going to discuss, and I think that's one of the hot topics. So we'll see how that all uh, uh, works out, but I think there is probably no good answer as of yet.
1: Okay, let's go to Sim in North York. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, how are you?
0: I'm well. I have a question about using medicinal marijuana for issues like spinal stenosis, uh, osteoarthritis, because I have it all over the place. But I'm also a diabetic and a heart patient.
2: Good question. So, generally, so I, I imagine you're asking about the potential for interactions. Uh, you know, with the with the diabetes medications, I'm not concerned at all. Uh, Even really, depending on which heart medications you're on, uh, probably not a big interaction there either. Uh, The reality is, it should be safe. Uh, Generally, when we say for chronic pain use, especially in someone that hasn't used before, we try to start low with the dose of marijuana and move up. And what's a low dose? Generally, about 0.5 grams, and that's what's prescribed. And then they move up from there. But you know, and you seem like you know you'd be a, sim a patient that uh, would potentially benefit and potentially be kept off opioids because in patients with spinal stenosis, we know in many cases they end up on opioids, and those opioid doses can escalate very quickly.
0: Okay, okay so I'm not, I, I'm not on a, a opioids at all.
2: So I, I you're just, having chronic pain? Is that why you're? Oh you're, yeah,
0: big time. Yeah, so, so this I, may I be a I an just use uh, ibuprofen and. Uh, Acetaminophen. That's the only pain.
2: Do they do they help? Minimally. Yeah. So that's the challenge, Your Libby. So we go ibuprofen, acetaminophen. So Anne says acetaminophen. Then what's next? Really, we don't have anything else.
1: Sounds like uh, you should yeah. try, try you can, you this, can Get a give a it a shot, right? Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Give it a shot. Do it properly. Because the reality is the next step for you is an opioid. And this has always been the fundamental issue with managing chronic pain. We need another drug that fits in there. We don't have one yet. Okay. That works well. Well,
1: well, give it a it works, try, Sim.
2: dance for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Call us back. Let us know. Okay.
1: Thanks. <laughs> Let's go to Wilma in Kincardin.
3: Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering, I had heard before that when the drug company started taking, changing marijuana from it, just smoking it, that kind of marijuana, to taking out some of the chemicals that there were side effects that they were coming up um, that hadn't been there in the marijuana itself. And I'm wondering, like, I have chronic pain, and I've been had people say, maybe you should try marijuana, and I'm really nervous to try it um, because I, I don't want the high thing, but I also don't want something that just puts in, you know, a whole brand new set of problems because you're having um, other issues. on diabetic, and I, I just heard him say that he wasn't concerned about that, but I'm concerned about, you know, taking drugs and then finding out, oh, I have a whole new set of problems. It took care of one, but it gave me five others.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is the challenge with uh, plant-based therapy. You don't always know how a patient's going to respond because, hey, every plant's different, right? So the ratio's a little bit different. Uh, I, I spoke about that, the THC to CBD. And then you never really know how sensitive a patient's going to be uh, to marijuana. So what may have very minimal effect in one patient may, you know, in you as a naive patient, uh, have a very uh, more pronounced effect. So you know we don't really know unless you try it the reality is uh, i think the strategy that's being used is we start with as low a dose as possible get you kind of exposed to it and see if you're getting any clinical benefit if you're not then we try something else the question i would ask uh, you wilma is if you're using it for chronic pain are you uh, you know are you on an opiate or not and i think that would be a thing no kind i can't of...
3: use opiates they make me throw up constantly
2: so maybe it's something mm-hmm. worth giving a try at a low dose
3: yep try yeah. it wilma Okay, thanks, thanks very much.
1: Okay, we've got to take another break. We will be back taking more of your calls and questions about medicinal use of marijuana, interactions, etc. With John Puppesturge, we'll be right back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight back with Libby Nimer on Zuma Radio.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with our trusted contributor, John Papasturgio. We're talking about medicinal marijuana, and I am going to get right to the phones. We've got Rob in Mississauga. Hi, Rob.
0: Hi, hi. Beautiful day today. Great. Good topic, good topic. I never thought it would, uh, you know, things would come to this where actually marijuana would be legal. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. But uh, I was going to say that. you know, I haven't smoked marijuana in a long time and uh, I'm I'm happy that I haven't and uh here it's pretty strong now. But I, I noticed when I smoked it would increase my heartbeat. And um, and if I had a headache it definitely wouldn't pop that headache, it would make it worse. So I and I'm I, I can understand marijuana be being used by cancer patients to increase their, you know, their appetites. But I I don't understand it being, uh, you know, being a painkiller. So has there been any medical trials done on the CBD? Is that what it's called, CBD? Yeah, that's a yes. great
2: question. There are. And, and that's why when I, you know, when I started the show, uh, uh, Rob, I focused on kind of the indications where we do have some evidence. Now, the evidence in this space is always a little bit, you know, um, not questionable, but the size of the trials sometimes are an issue. You have to you have to uh, recognize that there's no. Uh, one drug manufacturer that could control it, right, control the actual cannabis. So the size of these trials are sometimes the issue. Funding behind them can be an issue. But now that we have growers, we're starting to see the research in this space actually moving forward very, very quickly. So we definitely have trials in chronic pain. And that's kind of one of the reasons I did uh, list it as a possible indication. It seems to be related to the CBD. You're right. There are actually other components, uh, active components in marijuana as well. So we don't always know Exactly, uh, you know which component is is uh, dealing with a specific indication. I think more work has to be done in that area, but uh, I think why we're pushing it for 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 specifically for chronic pain is that we do have evidence, and we're seeing anecdotally patients coming off the opioids, and that again is the big win here. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Yeah. Thanks
1: for that. Okay. Let's go to Rose in North York. Hi, Rose. Hi. Go um, ahead. Uh, my my concern is like. First, I want to I want to mention that I think it's great to have marijuana as a painkiller, but not in a cigarette form. For my my beef about it is that I'm still worried about lung cancer. And whether smoke is coming from um, marijuana or a cigarette, lung cancer
3: is lung cancer. Smoke is smoke.
2: Rose, you're very, very right in that, you know, the cancer is not coming from the marijuana, but it's coming from the combustion. Whenever you combust anything and inhale it, you get all these other potential toxins as well. So, good point. I mean, I think uh, the... The vast majority of users now aren't smoking the joints. I think uh, they're using – they're either vaporizing, which is different than than the combustion that's coming from smoking a joint, or they're using things like the oils or the edibles. I think that's what you're seeing more commonly, but, but that's always been one of the concerns. Are we uh, – you know, are we causing harm by uh, promoting uh, the smoking of joints? And I think uh, although the lung cancer risk, I think, is less than from tobacco and cigarette smoking, it's a concern whenever you're combusting anything. So, okay. uh, Rose, you bring up a good point, And I think if I were recommending to a patient what to use, I'd say either vaporize, try an edible, or uh, the safest way, probably the oils
3: that's
1: why or in some pill form or even a chewable The, the, the thing, oils are are actually pills I think.
2: Yeah, the pills the are there you can actually get oil that you put under your tongue and it seems to be absorbed a little bit quicker. We're going to see guys an explosion of the different forms once this becomes legalized. I think everyone's going to be looking for a niche. Uh so we'll, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, uh a lot of different forms There's even uh uh, now, and uh, you know uh, there 's a company that uh, out of Vancouver called emerald that 's just announced uh, uh, OTC version of uh, uh, endocannabinoids coming to the market so these are uh, specific components of uh, you know uh, marijuana byproducts that are legal for OTC use and help with things like uh, sleep or mood or whatnot so we're going to be inundated. I think pharmacists are going to have to get some training to see to see where all this stuff falls and what role we could play in educating the public.
1: Okay, Rose, thanks for that. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. John, thanks so much, and congratulations on your 50th episode.
2: Great. 50 more, I guess. 50,
1: yeah. At least 50 more.
2: You're
0: listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to 1. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.